Welcome to the Janine Boland Show, where we share tips from around the globe as we guide practical people with their finances using money tips, increase their incomes through side businesses, and maintain their sanity by staying in their creative zone. Hi, this is Janine Bolin, and with me today, I have Nate Rifkin, who happens to be the author of an awesome book called The Standing Meditation. And the reason I got so excited about this particular book was because you hear a lot about meditation, and I'll have people say to me, oh, I tried meditation, it didn't work. And one of the things Nate and I were talking about before we started the show was like, well, how many times have you tried different meditations? Because as we're going to learn, Nate found himself at the end of his rope after failing at business. He was hundreds and thousands of dollars into debt, struggling with suicidal thoughts. And in his book, he goes over and over all the different new pop culture, as well as current mindset gurus, different types. I'm going to let him talk about all the different types of people and situations and paradigms he walked through before he finally found a ancient practice that he could use in this very modern world. And he talks about it in his book, The Standing Meditation. Thank you so much for being with us today, Nate. Oh, it's my pleasure, Janine. Thank you for having me. I have to admit, I've been really looking forward to this. I, I read his book. He was kind enough. He sent one to me, a nice little thank you note. And I just wanted to let you guys know I've read every word in here and it's spot on with my own experiences as well as I learned a thing or two, which I always love when I learn more because, you know, to the day I die, I'll be learning. So Nate, talk to us a little bit about what you went through and set the story up for us a bit. Certainly, I'd love to. I, I come from a really emotionally shut down family and I was an angry, depressed kid growing up and it got worse as I get older. Uh, I very few friends could not get a date to save my life. Prom night in high school, I uh, stayed home and watched TV. Went to college. I thought things would be different. No, because I was the same shut down, depressed guy. So I dropped out. Told I, I told nobody goodbye. The only person who probably knew I was gone was my roommate because probably came back in the dorm and half the stuff was cleared out. And I started on a, the path of self-help. I mean, I bought all the books, took the courses, uh, went to seminars, and I even had my own online startup, which I funded with my own credit cards. And I remember I, I, I had some hit or miss success, but the misses started to add up. And, uh, you know, I, I'd start maxing out my credit cards and a bill would come in the mail uh, and I'd drop it on the floor, cover it up with other mail, which is a terrible financial strategy, by the way. And I started to get really, really scared. And I, I was even more depressed than ever because... I was still that same lonely, depressed kid, even though I was an adult. And here's the thing. I was doing all the self-help. I really was setting goals. And I, I was working hard. I even made a vision board with glue stick and I put the thing on my wall. And when, on a rare occasion, someone came over, I'd hide the thing because I was so embarrassed about it. Um, and at, at my worst, I, I, I got so depressed. I'd end up in the fetal position on, the, on my uh, condo floor, silently crying. I just hated myself and I'd have these looping, looping, looping thoughts. Um, and I started drinking alcohol every morning just to cope with it. I'd pour myself a shot of vodka and, and an energy drink mix. And I, I, that was my breakfast. Um, fortunately, um, I, I started learning about meditation, specifically Taoist meditation. Um, and gradually, I started to turn my life around inwardly and then outwardly things started to fall into place. It, it, it was like the missing link that made all that self-help stuff I was trying actually finally start to work. And, and, that, and that's why I wrote the book. 
Yes, thanks for letting us know about all that, because one of those things where you said you were in the fetal position, silently crying on the floor, uh, actually mirrors an experience I had where I was being given a divine dispensation, and I did not want to move forward with that divine dispensation. And I ended up in the fetal position on my floor, trying to breathe like they were, I was being shut down my breathing. And finally, I squeaked out, okay, I'll do it. And boom, immediately, I was able to breathe, everything was fine. It was just God just like really crunching down on me of like, you will do this, you, you came to this planet to do this. And it was very scary, very scary times. And you talk about that. So where do you want to go? Your book is so loaded with wonderful information. Um, I didn't know if you wanted to talk about the breathing techniques or the four pillars of Taoism. You know, what do you want to do? Let's take, take us somewhere. Hey, you know, I uh, two things. One, I'd love to start with the four pillars. And, and before before we get there, though, I'd love to I'd love to comment on what you said. I loved what you said, because I'm sure a lot of your listeners are are studying what it's like to be on the spiritual path and they're on it themselves, of course. And we often think it's all fun and roses, but oftentimes it could be, it, it could be very, very painful, especially when we're being, shall we say, strongly guided somewhere. <laughs> In my case, it was, I was ignoring everything. So yeah. they're like, shut down her breathing, boys. Uh, She's not paying yeah. attention. <laughs> so, but, so I'm glad you brought that up because, because I feel like a lot of people, they might be going through something and they think, oh, I'm bad. It's all going wrong. When in fact, what's going on is they really are, they're being grown and pushed forward. So anyway, that's, that's what I wanted to say there. Perfect. Um, but, but with the four pillars, when I started diving into Taoist meditation, you know, previous to it, I, I, I thought meditation was like, okay, just sit and try not to think. I mean, here in the U.S., oftentimes the, our, our study or our, our, what is presented to us about meditation is so watered down, it kind of renders it useless. And I'm glad meditation is getting out there. But I, when I start to learn the nuances of it, that's when things start to really crack open for me. So the four pillars are attention, intention, sensation, and imagination. Um, and it's, it's, it might sound a little complex, but it's actually pretty simple. Let's start with intention. Your intention is you're going to, you want, what's your purpose? You're sitting down to meditate. So why? You need to choose something that resonates with you. Attention is where you put your focus. Now, what you want to do is put your focus on the sensations going on in your body. So there's that third one, sensations. Because when you put your focus there, you start to direct your mind from looping, looping thoughts into the feelings of your body. And you become receptive rather than, problem solving and anxious um, because our, our brain is beautifully designed to solve problems. The trouble is when it, when we lose control of the steering wheel, that's when our anxiety grows out of control and, and, and oftentimes um, frustration and depression as well. And the final one is imagination because meditation isn't, it doesn't just have to be about blanking out. It can also be a very dynamic exercise where we're guiding the energy of our bodies, which is huge in all mystical traditions. So those are the four pillars. And I think they make, if, if someone's like, oh, I tried, I tried just sitting there and nothing was happening. I think those four pillars can really help someone, even if they have a busy mind. 
Well, and I love what you use in one of your metaphors where every time you sit down to meditate, it's like stacking a piece of rice paper, one on top of the other. Now, I was raised in my elementary school years in Japan. And so rice paper is very well known to me. I know how thin it is. And so as you were talking about, you're building up those that stack of rice paper, and then you could have a really strong, intense emotion, and that'll set fire to it. But you're not really starting at the beginning again, are you? You're just learning. You're just learning how to kind of control those crazy emotions that can run roughshod over your mental peace. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And that's from uh, one of my teachers, Dr. William Wells Jr., the the stacking of the rice paper. Because the idea is every time you sit down and meditate and, and do this inner work and build your energy, it's like stacking a little thin piece of rice paper. It, you could barely see it. It's translucent almost. But as you stack them up and up and up, the stack gets bigger and bigger and bigger and eventually can grow into a tower and you've really accomplished something. Now, my teacher used that metaphor because when you sit down and meditate for a few minutes, you might get up and be like, well, d- did I really change anything? I don't know. It's like <laughs> you did. You added that little bit of paper. The trouble comes when you walk outside your front door and you might step on your neighbor's dog poop and then you start flying into a rage. That's like setting that rice paper on fire. Now, that's not this, it's not a shaming thing. I'm not trying to say it's like, oh, you, you got to walk around and always be like, oh, I got to, I got to manage my energy. I don't want to burn away all the juju I built up with meditating. It, it's just a, it's just a, a teaching device to show how delicate, you know, this, our, our, our walk with energy can be and all, and there's, there are no ordinary moments to, to quote Dan Millman. Uh, there are no ordinary moments. They can all be special and, and you want to treat them all as sacred uh, to really walk this path. Kind of right out of uh, course in miracles, you know, when you really start paying attention. And one of the things I love about Nate is he has read so many different books and the fact that he, literally came upon the standing meditation, this very ancient practice, and he uses it in this modern world is quite amazing. Uh, If you don't mind, go ahead and give us your website because you offer videos. We're talking about the standing meditation, but you're more than willing to give videos to people on how to do it correctly. So if you would say your uh, website for us. Oh, sure. Uh, Websites, it's just my name, naterifkin.com. Um, yeah, and the the link to that, the actual videos on how to do this practice is they're bare. I don't know the exact URL off the top of my head. They're buried in the book somewhere. But anyone who grabs the book, it's it, it, you just go to the site and you'll see the video right there. And for those of you who are writing this down, because I have those sorts of listeners, the way you spell Nate's name is N as in November, A T E. Rifkin is R I F K. I in is in November. So go ahead and go to the website, but I highly recommend this book. Even if you've tried meditation multiple times and you're just like, oh, nothing works for me. He was kind of at his rope with that as well. Talk to us a little bit about the breathing aspect, because that was something that intrigued me. That's a little deeper into the book. Oh um, it, yeah, it's, it's crucial. It's absolutely crucial because um, the way we breathe can change the hormones of our body. It can change our emotional state. Um, and one of the exercises I love to do is place one hand on, I place one hand on my belly, like right above my navel and one hand on my chest. And when I breathe, I make sure that the hand on my belly rises and falls with my breath and that the hand on my chest remains more stationary. This gives you automatic, like real-time feedback to make sure you're breathing deep into your belly. Now, and this has all kinds of benefits. Number one is 
you're guiding the energy downward. So again, remember like looping, looping thoughts, that's like condensing and spiraling the energy in your, in your uh, conscious mind. This brings it down to your belly. It, it grounds you and it, it, you can do it anytime, anywhere. Um, and it's, and it's also a wonderful way to help process uh, emotional trauma because when we go through a trauma, it, this it's coupled with that sort of panic induced shallow breathing because we're in fight flight or freeze mode um by breathing deeply it gently guides us back out of that so it's a wonderful practice thank you so much nate rifkin everybody go to his website get his book the standing meditation be back shortly This is Janine Bolin, and welcome to today's show. I am thrilled that we have today somebody who can help us with all the craziness that's going on in the world today. And every time you turn on the news, it's more good news, isn't it? It's just, it just keeps getting better and better, right? Well, I wanted to introduce you to today's guest, who is Joanna Brandy. And she's written books, she has online courses, she works with folks that are in schools and corporate America. Let's give you a little background on Joanna about how she can help you with where you are in life today. And that is in since 1990, Joanna has been helping companies create happy, engaged and high performing employees who are dedicated to providing exquisite customer care. Now, you may be thinking, hey, but I don't have a business or I'm not part of a corporation. I'm a self-employed person or I'm retired or what have you. Don't worry. She's also the author of two books that are really important on customer loyalty. And she has a beautiful illustrated gift book that is 54 ways to stay positive in a changing, challenging, and sometimes negative world. And believe it or not, that was written and produced before 2020. And she was already talking about this message. Now, she is also the creator of the Practice of Positive Leadership eCourse, and she's a certified Chief Happiness Officer through the Florida International University and a graduate of Dr. Martin Siegelman's Authentic Happiness Coaching Program. She is also certified in neurolinguistics, the art of empowerment, and the applied critical thinking. I'm sorry, cr- applied creative thinking. She teaches workshops on positive leadership and does positive leadership coaching for individuals as well as groups. She has served hundreds of organizations, both large and small, in all kinds of industries, for profit and nonprofit. Uh, centers. She specializes in creating more positive, value-based, and strength-based workplaces. Wouldn't that be nice for where you work, right? Where employees are motivated and customers are happy and loyal. She helps her clients activate the link between positivity and profitability, creating great companies to work for and do business with. So I know that with what we're talking about with Joanna, that she's very focused on the corporate world, but trust me, she has points for you that we are lucky enough that we get her on three segments of our show today. She's going to be talking about individual happiness as well as the 52 ways to help yourself in a negative world. So thank you for being with us, Joanna. It's lovely to have you on the show. My pleasure. My pleasure. So talk to us a little bit about this chief happiness officer. I mean, come on, chick. What's that all about? Tell us. We want the story. 
you know, if we were in Europe right now, you would see that as a very uh, popular title. People are being certified as chief happiness officers all over the world because guess what? The workplace has finally figured out that when employees are happy, they work better. When people love coming to work, they do a better job. They, uh, they go out of their way to help the customers. They go out of their way to help one another. The science of happiness has made it into business. And that, that just thrills me because I was teaching all of this stuff before I ever even knew that there was science behind it. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people see, well, you know, you just have to go to work, right? I'm sorry. Just what is it? Man up, you know, grit your teeth, push through, you know, whatever you have to do to bring the money in. So now you're saying, well, this isn't just a nice thing to have. This actually has science behind it. So talk to us a little bit about that science. Well, before I talk about the science, let's talk about this thing that's happening in the workplace right now that's being called the great resignation. People are leaving their jobs in droves. And one of my colleagues said to me recently, maybe it's not the great resignation. Maybe it's the great realization. You know, the the realization that maybe I don't have to work in a place that makes me unhappy or stressed out or exhausted at the end of the day. So that's something that more and more individuals are figuring out. And of course, it's easier to start your own business than it ever has been before. It's easier to start an online business or things like that. So people, especially young people, are saying no to these stressful workplaces where they're not acknowledged, where they're not appreciated, where they're, where they're, not, um, where they're not valued. And we all deserve to be valued for our work. I totally agree with that. And that's one of those things that I remember back in 1996, when I dropped out of corporate America to work at home, people were just like, oh my gosh, you know, I'd gone off the reservation as far as they were concerned. I was totally rogue, you know, oh my gosh, what do you do? And now I feel like everybody's joined you and I's party because you and I've been doing this for a while. And now they've joined a party about, oh, you know, this working from home is great stuff. I said, yeah, the first month that I started working from home, I saved myself $4,000. And if anybody wants to know what that budget was that I had saved myself $4,000 on, I'll be glad to let you know about childcare expenses, dry cleaning bills, commuting expenses, insurance, because my insurance dropped because I wasn't commuting an hour and a half away from from home to go to a job. So there were huge benefits to staying at home. Now, most people already know this. So we're going to go ahead and bring Joanna in a little bit more on it's not just nice to have this great resignation or realization that people are having is it is nice to be known for your work so what else do you want to share with us that's been happening in this post-pandemic world soon to be post-pandemic world soon to be hopefully soon to be um I think there was part of the realization is that we now understand that people need to feel good at work they need to feel important. They need to feel valued. They need to feel appreciated. They need to, they need to have the opportunity to do what they do best. We all want to work in our strength zone instead of our weakness zone. And when people are not, when, when leaders don't help support people in getting into their strengths, people become disengaged. That's what disengagement is about. You know, you're not, you're not using me for what I'm best at. You're trying to shove me into this job description rather than finding out what my talents are and using the best of me. And I think I think both bosses and uh, employees are really realizing that right now. 
And I think that the, the science is so strong, which is beautiful to me because there's not, there's no denying that people perform better when they are in a positive state rather than a negative state. We know from Barbara Fredrickson at the University of North Carolina that there's a tipping point between languishing and flourishing. And when you have three times more positivity than negativity, you begin to flourish. Well, businesses have gone on from there and have found out when you've got five times more of that positivity than negativity, you become a high-performing organization. So when people are celebrated and appreciated, they come to work raring to go. Exactly. And back to our point about working from home and that sort of thing, I just also wanted to talk about people forget the safety factor. I remember as a woman working in a male-dominated industry, I was an analytical Uh biochemist, the safety factor of being able to work from home that I am always with other people. So everyone behaves when we're on a zoom, because if you're not behaving on zoom, not only is it recorded, you have the opportunity of it being blasted off <laughs> to a bunch oh, of people. Oh, that's a riot. I never you thought know? of that angle. But the, that's I, as a single woman, that's what I like to talk about is like, I love zoom. I love being on multi- having multiple people. I let people know when they're being recorded, that sort of thing. So if I have a situation where I'm getting uncomfortable or not feeling safe, I can hit the record button and that kind of stops that behavior very, very quickly. So there's that aspect as well. And you don't always have that in a work environment unless you have a leadership like you're talking about that actually wants to create an environment of positivity. So talk to us about this positive leadership. What exactly is that? Well, those are people that actually use the skills that coming out of positive psychology that show us uh, a roadmap for creating that type of a culture because everything everything boils down to culture. Everything boils down to culture. It, that, that's, the, that's the environment that you're working in. So as you begin to have more positive communication, create a more positive climate, uh, create, create an environment where people just simply feel good about coming to work and they're willing to move out of their comfort zone to get into their stretch zone, because as a leader or manager, you're not putting them first in their panic zone, which is, I know what my experience was like in the corporate world. Yeah, I was recognized as somebody who was smart, but it was more of that, hmm, she looks smart. Let's throw in the pool and see if she can swim. So I was always in over my head. Yeah, I survived. Yes, I actually did well, but I was always under stress. I was always having trouble sleeping. I had, before I left the corporate world, I had an ulcer because of the environment that I was in all the time. People should be able to go home at night with energy left over for their kids. Right? That would be lovely, wouldn't it? It And a lot of times that anxiety level is so high. So talk to us a little bit about anxiety levels and how you can move into a more positive situation. I've heard you talk about things like positive deviance and positive spill spillover. Okay. I've heard you use those words. Help me out here, girlfriend. What exactly are you talking about? Well, positive spillover merely means that when you create this positive culture, it spills outside the company. It goes home with people. 
it goes spills out to your suppliers when you're a positive company to work with. It spills out into your community. I have every time I do, I do a lot of these CEO workshops uh, for an organization that I've been with for 24 years. And every time I do a workshop, I have this thing that looks like a mind map, but it's not, it's actually a future map. And in the center, we put the word positive culture. And then we get people to write down what happens, what's the next step? What happens if you have a positive culture? Well, you have positive customers. What happens if you have positive customers? They come back and they buy more often. They tell more of their friends. They do good word of mouth advertising for us, right? So you get you get that um, you get you get this. Um, I, I the only thing I can call it is a spillover. It's like a ripple effect. It's like a ripple effect because when that's going on inside, it it starts going on outside with everybody that's touched. And I would like you guys to stay tuned after the break. When we come back with Joanna Brandy, Certified Chief Happiness Officer, also a author of 52 Ways to Stay Positive in an Ever-Changing World. We'll talk more about that, as well as positive deviance and what those things are and how on earth do you get started in your rather unusual career. We'll have this and more. Stay tuned. Can't wait to chat with you again after the break. Welcome back. This is Janine Bullen. And with us today, we have Joanna Brandy, Certified Chief Happiness Officer, as well as author of 52 Ways to Stay Positive in an Ever-Changing World. Isn't that amazing? I think it is. We were speaking before the break about positive deviance and positive spillover. And we were trying to describe what are those things. And positive spillover is when you have a corporate environment that is positive enough that it spills over not only to people going home as employees and sharing that positivity with their families and their children, but also the customers at the other end of the line that are also staying loyal and to that company because of that positive spillover. But tell us now about that positive deviance. I've heard you talk about these things in your lectures and stuff what on earth are you saying I know you know I love that term so much I I I have to giggle every time I say it it's so good um if you think about the traditional bell curve you know that we look at in business it's got a big hump in the middle it's 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 the uh, bell curve of what they call normal distribution well if you were to take two slices off of either end let's imagine that on the left side there are people that are poor performers in the middle are the average performers, which is the largest group, right? But on the right side, as that curve comes down, there's another sliver. And those people are positive performers. So they're positively deviant than the norm. So a positively deviant business is one that is asset focused. They're always looking at what's right as opposed to what's wrong. They're always asking questions about what they want to create, not what's broken. So this positive deviance is also very value-based, virtuous value-based, because people talk about values. They have a set of values that they live through and they engage their employees in. So being positively deviant means that you're doing something that's outside of the normal 
It's just that it's in a very different way because it's focused on the positive. I love the, the, the image of the heliotropic effect. If you get a plant and you put it on a table in the middle of the room, you come back a day later and the plant has turned itself around so it's facing the sunny window. That's the, it's called the heliotropic effect and human beings do the same thing. Every living thing will turn towards the light. And that's one of those things that is so very important in any day and age where we have anxiety levels higher than they have been oh, in decades. Yeah. And we have stress management techniques that no longer serve us. So I would just love it if you would chat with us a little bit about those individuals and their happiness factor, because people are always saying things like just focus on what's good and, and write positive affirmations and stuff. Sometimes the anxiety when you're in that moment is yeah. so high and that's where your neuro-linguistic work is so powerful because you have it not only in the book, but I always see it when every time you're, you're speaking, you're using that. So talk to us a little bit about when you're in that moment of stress or anxiety, some things that can kind of just self-soothe a little bit, give you a little bit of comfort. Well, actually, these days, one of the things that I've been teaching to actually to a group I just finished with, and we did a six-week program on happiness, um, I taught them a technique called havening, which I have fallen in love with. And it's a way, since you use the word soothing, it's a way of self-soothing. And that's literally taking your own hands, crossing them over on your shoulders, and then pulling your hands down on your arms and all the way out to your hands, letting your hands touch each other. And you just do that over and over again. And what that does is it brings the cortisol down in your body. So I have been partial to that one technique for a while because it feels so good. I also live in Florida where I rarely have sleeves on. So I, it's skin on skin. It's, it's that feeling. It's what you would do to a child. It's how you would help a child if a child was in distress. You would be literally pulling that stress off their body. But this is a, a very gentle touch. Another thing, of course, is to breathe. I, I don't think I can stress that quite enough, that when you're feeling that stress, that you can stop the stress the same way people that are trained in firefighting and EMT and all of that. There's something called the square breath. So you would breathe in for four, hold it for four, breathe out for four, and then hold that breath out for four. You do three or four rounds of this. What you're doing is you're first calming yourself down. And then it's easier to ask one of those questions like, okay, what's right about this situation? Is there, is there a way I can reframe this situation? Is there anything in this situation I can laugh about? If this was a comedy, how would that look? It's, it's, it's a way of working with your mind in a, in a different fashion than we're normally used to. Because normally, uh, because of the way the body and the brain work, normally that once, once those negative thoughts start, they're really hard to get rid of because they become automatic. And we think about 60,000 thoughts a day. And of those 60,000 thoughts, that's about 95% of what we thought yesterday. So we're thinking the same repetitive thoughts over and over again. And the estimates are about 80% of that is negative. 
So we have to really adopt the idea that we can't believe everything we think because a whole lot of what we think, first of all, doesn't even belong to us. We're just picking it up. We're picking it up from somewhere, either energetically or we've been watching the news or we've just seen something that frightens us or stimulates that um, that anxiety response in us. So we have to be, I think we have to be super, super careful what we allow to come in because there are so many channels these days. Well, and one of the things that really uh, just intrigued me as I was looking over your different programs and your book and all was this five-part formula that you kind of educate people on, on how to become a positive energizer. And of course, I immediately think of the energizer bunny because I've been accused of being the energizer bunny because I'm always going and going and going and people are just like, you're kidding me. But I was just like, this is part of what you do with your link you know, from positivity to profitability, but you also talk about this five-part formula. And so I didn't know if you could share just a few of those parts with us today. Well, that's what I referred to before about positive communication and positive climate, positive relationships and positive meaning and positive deviance. And when you put them all together, you get the formula for creating a more positive organization. Cool. I didn't know what that positive energizer was, though, because that's a oh, title. I was my, like, I'll, well, I'll tell you where that came from. Um, some of the research that's being done out in the University of Michigan uh, with one of my teachers, Kim Cameron, uh, talks about the fact that when a leader does these things, does these very things, is always looking for the positive, is asking questions that are empowering, is uh, supporting people and appreciating people, when when that happens, that person becomes what he calls a positive energizer because they're able to have, they have more influence. They have four times more influence than any other leader because people are so energized in their presence that it spreads, you know, emotions are contagious. So if I'm energized about a project and I'm excited about a project and I've been just getting some praise and I'm feeling good because my boss notices what I'm doing when I'm doing something right, then I'm going to be more energized and that's going to pass along to other people. We, we don't really pay attention to the fact that emotions are contagious, but they are so contagious. And, and one thing that I heard a lot when I was working a lot as a consultant, I'd be sitting with people in the organization, I always said, you would ask them the question, you know, what's it like working here? And then I'd ask a few other questions. And there was a, there was something I heard over and over again that was really spooky because it was said the same way. How come they never notice when I'm doing something right, but when I'm doing something wrong, they're all over me. Yeah, that is a frequent and common lament. I've heard that frequently uh-huh. with people. Uh, and I think that's what empowered me to figure out a solution for that. And positive leadership is the solution for that because we're teaching leaders to look for the things that are going right and then to expand on them. It's, it's the ability to, to create more capacity, whether personally in your own life, create more capacity for positivity. And that's challenging for some people like me because um, a good portion of our ability to be positive is genetic. So if it's 50% genetic and you're not born on, I, when I display it with a slide, I have a pizza and I've got a line going across, you know, like half of the pizza is genetic. And we know it's not exactly 50%, but it's close. 
So if, if half of your happiness, um, there's a happiness set point, if half of it depends on your genetics and you're not born happy, you gotta be really good at then taking care of the things you can control. And that's all about that locus of control is the locus of your control internal or external. And Uh you, you don't have to live too long to realize there's only one area in life you have total control over and that's you. And even then let's go back to that point you made. Don't believe everything you think. I mean, I don't want to gloss over that too fast. I mean, don't believe everything you think. Are you kidding me? Yes, we are not joking. It is important. So tell us those numbers again before we uh, sign off for this segment. And that was, you had those numbers of how many thoughts we have a year and then, or or a day. day. Yeah, how many thoughts we have a day? 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. And 95% of those thoughts are the same thoughts as yesterday. And 80% of those thoughts are pretty much likely to be negative. And so- I would love for you guys to stick around with us for the next segment because there are multiple things Joanna's going to walk us through. Not only her book, 52 Ways to Stay Positive. Okay, that's not the direct quote, but 52 Ways to Stay Positive in a Negative World. Uh, That's not exactly the book title, but that's what the emphasis is. But we're going to be describing the book, some of the ways that you can help with your happiness factor. But my favorite, how to outsmart your happiness step point. And I'm going to dig a little deeper into this. Don't believe everything you think, because I wanted to express a little bit more with Joanna about how just changing some of your thoughts, like even if it's four or five thoughts that you are making more progress than if you just live by default. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit more, how to outsmart your happiness set point with Joanna Brandy. Do stay tuned. We will see you after the break. Welcome back. I'm Janine Bolin. I'm sitting here with Joanna Brandy, and she is a chief happiness officer, if you will. And I just wanted to chat with you about the most important thing I think that we have said in this interview today, and that is don't believe everything you think. I know I talked about it right before the break, but I think it's important to emphasize these points points because you're often said or told don't believe everything you hear don't believe this don't believe that but everything you think all right talk to us a little bit more about this Joanna because you've got some great stories on this one I know you know and it's it when I first understood the concept it it was it was such cognitive dissonance because I was you know raised in a time where I think therefore I am so everything I thought was me And to hear that maybe I shouldn't believe what's going on in my own head was absolute heresy. That put me in a tither for weeks while I began to understand what it meant and why it was important not to believe every random thought that came through my head. Because we're not even in control of all our thoughts. We pick them up from other places. You can walk through the supermarket and pick up stuff, right? Because we are, we're energetic beings. We pick up other people's energy. So someone else could be having negative thoughts and you can walk right by them and boom, they pop up in your head and you don't even know why. So it really, it really uh, is important that we, we allow ourselves to understand that we really can't believe everything we think. So if we're working on a project and we we say something negative to ourselves and I'm pretty good at this. So, oh, I'm so dumb or I can't get this done or I'm not going to get this done in time or something like that. That's baloney. That's, that's an old thought. 
that's an old pattern. That's what's running through your mind. So it's really important to learn to challenge your own thinking. Is that true? Is that really true? How can I know that's really true? There's a great body of work by Byron Katie that, that just asks these questions, teaches you how to challenge your thinking. It's so important. Well, it's one of those things that when we when we talk about it, I read Rene Descartes, which is the one who's, you know, I think therefore I am. And oh, I yeah. read his I read his books and and I remember that the guy spent three months in solitary confinement of his own choosing in a cabin deconstructing everything that he had ever learned, because when he started traveling and he started moving around the planet in his day, uh, he started realizing a lot of his own ideas or things he had been taught were totally wrong. So he was deconstructing to the, and then what people say is he deconstructed to the greatest lie we have, which is we think when we are thinking, we think that that's us who's talking in our own head. Right. And that is the core, right? It's right there. Poor Renee. He did three months, but he didn't quite get deep enough. So let's talk about the positive part of how do we outsmart our own happiness set point. And you have this wonderful story about a woman who took an extreme Oh, yes. Extreme, you know, and I would yeah. like you to share that story, please. I will. I will, because I think it's important to hear. And this is an incredibly smart woman, a public speaker, a writer, a, a consultant. But she decided she wanted to start paying attention to her negative thoughts. So she made them very visible. She, she took a Sharpie and every negative thought she had during the day, she wrote it down somewhere on her body. And by the end of the day, she was covered in ink. And this is I, somebody, I can't even imagine. I, it, I, I've, I've done it only on my wrist or, you know, up the side of my, it's like, well, no, I can't quite do that. She went out in public like this. And, and she wanted to, she really wanted to get it into her head that she can't believe what she thinks because it's not true. There's a ton of evidence that she's smart. There's a ton of evidence that she's worthy. There's a, ton, there's a ton of evidence for each one of us that we are the positive version of ourselves. But for some reason, and for some people, it's uh, you know early childhood upbringing, religious upbringing, parental upbringing, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But as adults, we wanna challenge our own thinking. So a couple of things we can do, we can change our circumstances, which are, um, that's 10% of our uh, happiness set point. Uh, so maybe we're in a job we don't like, we can get a different job. Maybe we're in a living situation we don't like, we can get into a different living situation. Uh, the things that really make a difference as far as circumstances is whether or not you have faith in something outside yourself, which is extremely important, uh, whether or not you have a social network. We're finding out, that's what we're really finding out from COVID, uh, is the importance of having social interactions, of having other people that care for you and about you. Really, really important, not only in the workplace, but definitely in our, in our personal lives. Uh, and the other thing... Um, that we can look at is what our 40% of our happiness comes from our habits, our, our uh, things we have control over, our habits, our thoughts, what we take in, what we take in visually, what we take in auditorily, and sometimes even our food, right? The things that we have control over. So if you are part of the group that is, you know, not genetically happy, I happen to be part of that group. I still have 40 
50% of stuff I can work on. If you are blessed with the genetics that make you uh, make it easier for you to be happier, good for you, spread it around. But people like me have practices. I have positivity practices. I work on my gratitude. I do an exercise at night called three blessings and why three things that happen during the day that I would consider blessings or goodness and write down why they happened or how they happened or just expand on them a little bit. Um, I work with the power of intention, setting an intention in the morning. And then because when, when you focus your intention and your attention, you are more likely to get what you want. So it's, it's all these things are really a function of mindfulness, of making that choice to say, I want a happier life. I want more happiness in my life. So you can um, do those kinds of things. You can change your filters. You know, we all look at the world through filters, our belief systems, our attitudes, our assumptions, our experience, our expectations. We can change those filters. We can change our expectations. We can change our attitudes. We can change our beliefs. There's so many things that we can look at to say, is this in alignment with how I want to live my life? And that is where progress is really made. As a positive leadership coach that you are for these amazing organizations and and I know you work with churches and schools and temples, one of the things that I just find incredible is when you really start focusing in on what you're thinking and what your internal dialogue is, you know, you've heard that thing, change your thoughts and you'll change your life. That isn't just a saying. I mean, that is really true. And if you sit down and actually start recording how often you say a negative thing, and then you dive into, is that true? One of the things that I stumbled into by accident was I was still carrying around a negative thought that had been told to me when I was six it is totally not appropriate decades later. I've, I've grown since then. It's like, it's like it totally took, you know, took away. And so once that changed, it was amazing how my life changed. So let's talk about the other amazing thing about you, Joanna, and that is your book, 54 Ways Book. That's kind of the short term. But let me give you the official title now, since I messed it up last time, 54 Ways to Stay Positive in a Changing, Challenging, and Sometimes Negative World. Talk to us about, number one, why on earth 54, and why did you decide to write this crazy book long before 2020 ever happened? You know what? I was giving a seminar in New Jersey and I was teaching a group of customer care professionals about how to do a better job of taking care of themselves and their customers because I always focus on them too. And somebody, you know, I talked about something about a negative world. This goes many years back and a woman in the back raised her hand and she said, well, Joanna, how do you stay positive in a negative world? <laughs> game on we call that challenge accepted that was game on and at that time I was I was working with that company on a long-term contract and we were doing hold your breath on this one audio tapes every month that we sent out to the employees and I said you know what that is a great question and next month in my audio segment I am going to teach you 13 ways to stay positive in a negative world well, I became fascinated with it because every month now I could write 13 more. And before you know it, I had a whole bunch of these things. And then I went, oh, that might make a nice book. So I, I started cleaning them up and started asking other people, what do you do to stay positive? And then um, 
I took him to a friend of mine who was a publisher. And he said to me, they need pictures. This book needs pictures. So I literally carried the manuscript for four years looking for an illustrator. And I met lots of them, but none of them were right until one day I sat down at a direct marketing meeting here in Florida next to a wonderful woman, uh, the late Joanne Goldsmith who said, yeah, I can illustrate that for you. And I said, wonderful. I whipped the, I had my, literally, I had it in my briefcase. I took it out of my briefcase and I said to her, let's just try a few. And this dear woman meditated every one of these things. When it came time to finish the book and uh, get it published and all that kind of stuff, we, we settled on the number 54. Joanne was Jewish. And I think I had, she said, it has to be a number that, that uh, it, it's uh, the number 18 is Lahaim. So it had to be a number that was in it for her. It had to be in a number alignment with that. I was fine. I got many more in the drawer. <laughs> I could do 55 right? more. You know? <laughs> uh, so we did that. And then another friend of mine who is also passed from this world at this point, uh, and we dedicated the first uh, run of the book to her. Um, she said to me, that's not fair to say it's a negative world. It's only negative sometimes. Interesting. And so I changed the title to 54 Ways to Stay Positive in a Changing, Challenging, and Sometimes Negative World. So I have two dear friends reflected in this. And then and the last time I republished it, which came to me in a meditation, I was told to go republish this book. I did not know my illustrator would pass away. So I. I'd love to learn more. We got to have you back on the show, but real quick before we have to leave, how does someone get a hold of you, Joanna? I'm Joanna, J O A N N A, at returnonhappiness.com. Thank you so much because I did not want to leave this segment without somebody <laughs> knowing how to get a hold of you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, I love working with you, Janine. This is always so much fun. We'll have you back on 54 Ways to Stay Positive, people. We'll see you next time on the Janine Boland Show. We broadcast every Sunday from noon to one on KHNC. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the Janine Boland Show. Be sure to subscribe to our show notes by going to the JanineBolandShow.com where you'll find additional resources as well as the opportunity to sign up to receive our program in your email each week. Be sure to visit our sponsor at the8gates.com. 